Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the Talking Comics Podcast. It's Wednesday, September 2nd, 2020, and you're listening to episode number 458. I'm your host, Steve Say, joining me for this week's show is Mr. Bob Ryer. Wakanda forever. Aaron Amos. What he said. And Sarah Miles. I'm thirding that. Mm. 2020! How about it? Pretty good. Pretty good. How about it? Oh, God, you guys. Okay, so look, full disclosure, we were pulling a show together for y'all. We still have one, um, Lightning Rounds, some uh, very cool listener questions and emails and stuff like that. But we're going to keep things simple because uh, we're recording on a su- early Sunday afternoon for us here in the uh, the Eastern Times. Uh, not for Sarah, though. What time is it where you are? Uh, it's half past six in the evening. Oh, okay. All right, not so bad. Not not as bad as it usually. Not as, not as bad as it was <laughs> when you were doing no. regular Tuesdays. No, manageable. Right. So I believe it was Friday, late Friday evening, when uh, somebody. If any, if I'm wrong, please correct me. But uh, news broke out that Chadwick Boseman had passed away from cancer. And uh, I don't know where you were, but like I was, you know, trying to get into weekend mode and just relaxing and and wearing my just the other day. I hadn't seen it in a while, but um, I have a Black Panther hoodie that I, I absolutely love and haven't worn in a bit. And I found it the other day and I put it on and I reached into my pocket and I found my original ticket stubs for when Bronwyn and I went to go and see Black Panther in the theater. They were still in the left pocket. And uh, so we've been talking about the movie and in, in, in Chadwick in the days leading up to his passing. And I mean, I went upstairs for just a minute to go and uh, check a download on my, on my computer. I moved my mouse and there was the news right there that he'd been battling uh, I believe it was stage four colon cancer for upward of four years. Um, maybe more. I don't have it in front of me, but, uh, yeah, I, um, I don't always have big reactions to celebrity deaths. I, I, there's this odd disconnect for me if I don't know the person, but there are, there are some people that manage to get past that for me. And, uh, I think the first one to really get me was Chris Farley. The second and probably the most devastating was when Robin Williams passed away several years ago. 
And then I saw the news about Chadwick and I just, I just fell apart. I just fell apart. My, my, my whole plan was to like put all the notes together and do all the things on Saturday. And I could, I could barely walk around yesterday. Um, which is very sad. And, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've lost an icon and, and, and so, so young and, and, He'd been wrestling with this stuff throughout his career as Black Panther and and did the role anyway and like wanted to make his time count. And, and, and you know, this role of his as the Black Panther is going to last generations. It's just it, it's such a wonderful thing to have him to, to remember him by and, and including some of his other roles. And um, I'm just rambling at this point. I don't really have anything written down. I'm just, I'm really sad. It's about feeling, uh, Steve. Go for it. Yeah, I just, Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman has meant a lot to a lot of people, to an entire community of people, and, and then some. And when I think of the impact that he's had and the the way that he'll last in the hearts and minds of all of his fans, that part makes me feel really good. But for right now, I'm just so I'm going to miss him so much. And it is watching those movies again, because we, we just watched Black Panther two weeks ago when Bronwyn's mom was here. You know, that is like that is a priority film for us to watch multiple times a year. And uh, I just devastated, absolutely devastated. Uh Bob, would you like to uh, yeah. say something? I have, a, I have a great quote here from uh, President Obama. Chadwick came to the White House to work with kids when he was playing Jackie Robinson. You could tell right away that he was blessed. To be young, gifted, and black, to use that power to give them heroes to look up to, and to do that all while in pain, what a use of his years. He, by all accounts, Chadwick was a just a genuinely brilliant, loving man to everyone writer playwright producer actor and as you say icon and hero to so many people who didn't have one before mm-hmm. in, in films and uh, i find it oddly oddly poetic and and right that he passed on a day that major league baseball be- celebrates the legacy of Jackie Robinson hmm. broke the color barrier in baseball who Chadwick played wonderfully in the movie 42 as he is, is going to leave that same sort of legacy to another generation in, in playing T'Challa to add another layer to that Friday would have been the 103rd birthday of Jack Kirby, the fellow who co-created the black Panther. Oh, wow. It just, as you say this, you hear this news and it's, always stunning when a celebrity passes when a celebrity passes at 43 with so many great roles so much great influence to so many young people and older people moving forward to come it it's extra sad um lived a great life could should have been more rest in power absolutely uh aaron how you doing man 
you know, having a having a weekend, uh, as we discussed offline. Uh, so, listen, it's been no secret that my, uh, I guess, carry through theme since joining this show has been representation matters, and and there's there's a reason for that. There's a reason, you know, why something like that is so important. And I think his his sort of career life cross section sort of exemplifies that. I mean, it, it's so often the case. That if you look at representation of African-American characters or people of color in general, you know, in this medium that, you know, they're a pigeonhole. There's there's limited opportunities for them to expand outside of a criminal element or or someone who stereotypically, you know, the catalyst for a plot driven thing that supports some other character who is not a person of color. Um, and it's usually not in the most flattering way. Um you know, after his passing, I, you know, thought back about this and had some conversations and realized that he was very, you know, particular about which roles that he, he would take. And he, he turned down some roles, and that's not really something a black actor can do these days. He turned down some roles that maybe would have, you know, gotten him a paycheck, but wouldn't have made him feel as good about himself. So he, he you know, if you look back over the the characters that he's played, they were characters that were significant in that they reflected, you know, what we want to see more of you know, as people of color, you know, on screen. Um, and for his last, um, well, not his last film, but his most successful film to be a character that in a film that exemplified black excellence, you know, at its best, at its highest level, you know, sort of the majesty um, at its highest level and have an impact globally Mm-hmm. To the degree that I am walking through cons and seeing little blonde haired, blue eyed white kids wearing Black <laughs> Panther costumes um, and having them be the the favorite, you know, the favorite hero uh, of some blonde haired, blue eyed little kid. Um, it means something. There are all these milestones that I think as an African-American in the country, we can look back and say it was this that made me look at comics. How many times have we heard someone say, you know, what was your first you know, comic book and someone will say storm, you know, storm is what got them into, you know, reading comics. You know, I think he has cemented his place in that story for so many, you Mm -hmm. know, over the last three or four years that yes, his place will be, you know, it will be forever. It will be eternal uh, because it will have given so many young people of color an opportunity to look at a film that was basically perfection across the board and see a representation of African-Americans of Africans, of African-Americans, of people of color in general, in a way that was equal to or in you know, excess of you know, their counterparts on screen. And that's we rarely get an opportunity to see that. And, it, and, it, and for it to be so widely accepted you know, in this era that we're living in now um, says something. Um, and I'm, I, I hope, you know, I believe in this case, but I hope that he, you know, understood that, understood the the full scope of his impact, the full scope of the film's impact, you know, what it will mean to, you know, 10-year-old kids that watched it now and what they will, what impact that will have with them that they'll be able to look back, you know, 10 years from now, you know, and count that among their favorite movies. Just uh, I hope he understood, you know, what that you know, what impact that has. And it's just so sad to see, you know, a character, an actor, an individual, a human being 
who was clearly on a path to do so many great things, yes. sort of taken away pointlessly. Um, but you know, I, let's let's hope that is not the case. Uh, let us make it so that is not the case. Uh, so that's kind of where I am with it. Yeah, I'm anxious to explore. Um, I see that he played James Brown in Get On Up in 2014. And I had remembered wanting to see that. And then I guess it just passed me by. But now knowing that he's playing James Brown in that movie, I got to go back and, mm-hmm. and check that out. Um, before we, we get away from this, uh, Sarah, would you like to say anything uh, for this? Yeah, I... It's a difficult one for me because I only knew him from Black Panther and he was he was absolutely stellar in that. But one thing that I've seen in the last 24 hours, because I woke up to the news Saturday morning um, and one thing I've seen is such an outpouring of affection and respect for what he did, not just as an actor on screen, but um someone was telling an anecdote about he was in a bookshop and a young would-be actor started speaking to him, a young black man started speaking to him. Um, and Chadwick spoke to him for, you know, half an hour and just encouraged him and told him what he needed to do to be successful. And then he went around the store and he picked out five or six books and he paid for them for this young man and left them at the counter for him. Wow. And he didn't, he didn't do it for the thanks. He did it because he was a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen, you know, photos of him. And this is the one that really got me photos of him visiting children who had cancer in hospitals when he was going through that himself. And he would go in and he would be the Black Panther for these little kids because he knew what that meant to them. Um, and I think that there is. There is not enough kindness in the world and that we need to recognize the kindness of good people when it's here and not just when they've gone. Um, and I just I just think that's important that, you know, we, we find people who are doing the good things and we celebrate them. And I know that he was celebrated when he was alive and that he's being even more celebrated now. But he's done so much that I didn't know about. Um, and I just, I just think it's important to just be kind, just be nice. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, everybody, I, I don't even know where, I don't know what even the, the pivot is from this for the rest (laughs) of the show. I just, you know, heart out of my chest and, and I will, I will miss him. And I, I, really admire the person that that he was and what he'd contributed and what he gave back to the world and the 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 strength that he so obviously exhibited while all of this was going on and that as somebody I don't mean to make this about me I apologize I just if if you've gone through you know what I'm never mind we're not going to go down that road um I just, I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I admire him. I admire his strength, and um, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I whoa, this one, this one is really, really, really getting to me. I think if I think we should move on before I lose it. Yeah. Okay. To be honest, if we don't move on, I'm, I'm going to talk about something that may be incredibly angry. All right. Um, 
I would love so. to hear that story. <laughs> would you? Would you like to hear about? Would you like to go first really for lightning rounds? Uh, do you want me to include the anger as part of my lightning round? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Just, <laughs> it's, it's just <laughs> throw some lightning bolts, Sarah. Whenever you're um, ready. This 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 isn't just about Chadwick Boseman. This is about any any public figure who passes. Um, don't capitalize on it. I <laughs> I really hate the fact that I have to say that. Um, but if you see someone who has passed and you use that as an opportunity to try and sell your book or to try and promote your social media, or if you're the person who went online today and bought every single photo cover of the Black Panther with Chadwick Boseman on it for cover price, knowing that you can now flip those for a profit, you are scum. I'm sorry. I'm not holding back. I don't care. You are a terrible human being and you do not deserve happiness in your life. Um, I'm still angry and it's been about six and a half hours since this happened. Um, So be nice. Right. Okay. I'm done. I'm going to talk about comics now. Yes. Um, I have been absolutely awful and just haven't had time to read comics recently. I'm working a lot trying to get some a project finished off at work, but I did get time to read Wind number three, and I'm really pleased that Steve told me that he hasn't read this yet because I'm gonna not be spoiling it at all. Um, so this is the book that I talked about a while ago, which is James Tyne in the Fourth and Michael Dial and I. Why do I do this? Why can I not say his name? <laughs> Dialanas. I just, my brain wants to go to dialysis. I'm sorry, Michael. Michael Dialanas, James Tyne in the fourth. Um, it's from Boom Studios. It's about a boy who um, is hiding a secret. The secret being that he's different. I'm not going to give any more away because if you're not reading this, you should. Um, people have been telling me it's an all ages book i wouldn't let a little kid read it there's like some really creepy characters in here uh i don't know if anyone is caught up on it but if you have yet to encounter the bandaged man then uh yeah oh my god he's so creepy um but basically the story is like really cracking on in issue three i'm absolutely loving it i really can't wait to see where it goes it's one of those books you get to the end and go oh no i need the next one now and there was like a proper a proper cliffhanger at the end of issue three. Um, I also read all of volume one of Ghosted in LA. Why didn't I read this book before? Joey what was wrong with book. me? <laughs> oh my God, it's so good. It's one of those books that people are just like, you're not reading it? Really? But it's so you. And it totally is. It's about a girl who um, moves to Los Angeles with her boyfriend and then they break up and she ends up basically squatting in a mansion filled with ghosts. Um, it's really, really good. It's really funny. It's really pretty. This, honestly, this book is beautiful. Um, the colours in it are absolutely astounding. So it is from Signer Grace. Um, who I think does some of the artwork in some issues, but not all of them. I probably should have made a note of that at some point. Um, Siobhan Keenan does most of the art and um, letters from DC Hopkins, colours from Kathy Lee. But Signer Grace's writing is just absolutely glorious. All the characters are lovely. Um, I've only read volume one. I'm going to have to read all the rest of it now and get caught up because genuinely I don't know why I wasn't reading this before other than 
my own stupidity. Um, and then the book that I've read the most of recently, you know how we all have like our list of shame where we keep going, oh yeah, I haven't read that. Now I really, I promise I am going to read the Jason Aaron Thor run. I haven't got to it yet. No, you're not. Well, I have the. I am. I am. I just need to finish this next book first. So basically, um, as part of my getting into shape for a powerlifting competition kick that I'm on at the moment, I have added cardio into my workouts. And anyone who knows me knows that I hate cardio. So I've discovered if I sit on an exercise bike with an iPad and read comics, I don't notice how much I hate cardio. Um, and bearing that in mind, this week I read issues one through 19 of Harrow County. Ah. Um, <laughs> so this is from uh, Cullen Bunn and Tyler Crook. It's published by Dark Horse. Um, I'm a massive wimp. Like, I'm a proper scaredy cat. I don't watch scary movies unless I've read the synopsis. So I know what's going to happen. So it doesn't make me jump as much. In fact, I just don't watch scary movies. Um, and I don't like things that are creepy or frightening. And I'd read the first couple of issues of Harry, Harry County years ago. But I thought, it can't scare me if I'm reading it in a well-lit gym where there are other people and I'm on an <laughs> exercise bike. So that, that was sensible of me. Um, what was less sensible was the fact that last night I went for a walk up in the hills and timed it wrong. And it was getting dark by the time I was walking <laughs> down the hill through the woodlands. And it turns out that the first 19 issues of Harrow County have this kind of creeping psychological horror that really builds up and then strikes you at the worst possible time. <laughs> yeah. Skinless yeah. boy following you home. Oh, it's just kept hearing all these noises and then there was this like proper loud crack of wood and honest to god i couldn't see any other people and then like a deer ran out in front of me and it was proper beautiful and i started getting all emotional about it because about five seconds before that i'd be like this is how i die then a giant um, ox comes out of the woods and eats it <laughs> thankfully that didn't happen there were just more deer it was amazing um I, i'm not gonna lie it's not the greatest book i've ever read like there's a few bits where they're like we're gonna build some tension here haha and i know it's really obvious what's gonna happen um but it clearly has got under my skin no pun intended um a little more than i thought so i'm gonna keep going with the cardio i'm gonna keep going with harrow county i'm gonna read the rest of it and then i promise oh god i've just seen it ran for three years how many issues are there of this book lord oh it's Um, it's big yeah, and then I'm going to read Jason Aaron's Thor because I feel like I'm a bad person. Or oh, it's okay. There's only 36 issues. I'm halfway through. It's all good. Um, yeah, so this has been the worst, most meandering, least sensed lightning round ever. But that's what I've read. Uh, nice. I wholly recommend <laughs> Tales from Harrow County as well. It's just a four-issue miniseries. It's quite good. Okay. I will I will add that. One thing I will say, actually, is that at the back of each issue, or at the end of each issue, they have like a little one page comic. And mm-hmm. some of those have been my favorite bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just just like just like one page. Here's like, you know, a local legend type thing, because everywhere has the local legend. And I was just like, oh, I like these ones. So, yeah, it's it's not the greatest horror comic I've ever read, because clearly that's Clean Room by Gail Simone or Crossed Wish You Were Here by Cy Spurrier, literal nightmares. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 
It's good. I like it. <laughs> I was just about to... Oh, Faithless. Did you hear me talking about that last week? No, I okay. haven't listened to the show yet. I Literally, I've been working 10 hours a day minimum. It's ridiculous. If, when you can get your hands on it or, or use my stuff, definitely check out Faithless. It is very steamy and very scary, and I think you would appreciate it. It's, uh, it's a good kind of weird. How steamy are we talking here, bearing in mind that, like, very. I, pre- I pretty much haven't touched another human being since, like, March. Hello. Very. <laughs> very steamy. Not, not just like that, in a I live on my own and I've been in lockdown kind of a way. Hello. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are vibing right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Does anybody have any comments, questions, or concerns about uh, Sarah's lightning round? <laughs> about Sarah. <laughs> Any concerns about Sarah? I just hear bow playing in my head now. We have lo- I have lots of concerns. Don't time your walks better. Don't 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 end up in in the haunted wood in the middle of a lightning storm after having read a horror comic. I'm just saying. It's just to be fair, it wasn't quite as bad as the time that I was taking um some slight psychotropic medication living in a house in the middle of the woods and read Scott Snyder and Jock's Witches. Okay. Um <laughs> It wasn't quite as bad as that. But yeah, I was more concerned about um, falling on my butt, to be honest, because last time I walked up in the hills, there was a torrential downpour and I proper tanked it like three times <laughs> on the way down. Because <laughs> I'm honestly, I need adult supervision. I should not be allowed to exist like this. It's ridiculous. Amazing. You're doing fine. It builds character. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go with that. Speaking of character or characters, Aaron, you probably got some uh, characters in your lightning round, don't you? I think I might. I think I might. All right. All right. Tell me when. Whenever you please. All right. So we're going to start with Legion of Superheroes number eight, Brian Michael Bendis, and a ton of other artists because essentially each page was done by a different artist. And so it's there was a ton of them. Um, so I'm not even going to begin to try to read through them all. I can give you a couple of them just to give you an idea of what we are dealing with. So it's like Yannick Paquette, Joel Jones, Dan Jurgens, Jeff Lemire, Alex Maleev, you know, Fabio Moon, and on and on and on and on and on. So when we last, last left our heroes, uh, they had just saved New Earth from pirates who wanted to use Aquaman's trident to uh, essentially do harm to New Earth. After that whole thing was all wrapped up, they find themselves in a little bit of a political bind trying to make sure that they stay, you know, within the realms of, you know, within the guidelines of what their role is supposed to be in the universe without, you know, caving in and being political tools. Uh, it doesn't help that in the process of, uh, of getting there, they happen to embarrass the leader of Planet Rimbor, who also happens to be the father of one of the Legion members. And now they are under assault by his army who wants to arrest them all. So interestingly enough, this book has a lot of balls in the air. Um, uh, we have, uh, yes, a lot of balls in the air. No pun intended, Sarah. Sorry, I didn't mean to trigger you. Oh, boy. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. But um, it does, and literally and story-wise, um, there, there's a lot going on. So we have, uh, you know, we're trying to uncover the story, the, the relationship between Monel and Jean Kemp, because there seems to be some tension there. We get a little bit about that. We're trying to uh, figure out what political aspirations so many different people have and what, what's motivating them to have the, the position they have about the Legion. Um, it's, it's, 
it's taken a little bit of an interesting turn. It's not necessarily your straightforward superhero book. So I'm, it's starting to interest me more than maybe it did initially. I think the story is going to a little bit of a better place. But I think the overarching question that is being asked, if I look back through all the issues so far, is, is this Legion idea a good one? You know, will they work as a team? Because it's not a seamless, you know, Avengers sort of Justice League type scenario. So something to keep out for. So next book, Justice League Dark, number 25. I have talked about this book multiple times, uh, and I will continue to talk about it. Uh, by Ram V, uh, and I'm going to massacre this next name, Amanke Nahuapan, I think, and Jun Chang. Um, so as we said before, magic is a mess, uh, and it's continuing to be a mess, and it's just going to continue to be a mess because of some of the actions that the Justice League Dark took to fight Hecate and a variety of other uh, characters who, you know, want their piece of the magic. Um, in the end, uh, they were able to sort of set things right, but there's still some things they have to take care of. One of which is Zatanna's never ending mission to find and rescue her father, who uh, we learn in this book essentially took on a responsibility in order to save Zatanna uh, that sort of, that may have set a lot of this in motion. Um, and now she's got to rescue him from this other place, from the upside down man, the terrifying upside down man. So we're going to get a little bit more about uh, the relationship. We got a little bit more. We're going to get some more. I can tell by the about the relationship between Zatanna and Zatara, as well as the relationship, the growing relationship between Wonder Woman and magic. There seems to be she seems to play a central role in magic. Um, book number three, X-Men number 11. What I'm enjoying about Jonathan, Jonathan Hickman, Neil Francis Hughes book is that. Like some of the other X-Men book, it is books that is taking place in the, the, the context of the crossover or the event or whatever you want to call it. But it doesn't allow itself to be completely uh, taken over. So it's still an Empire crossover, and but it's very much X-Men focused. And so this book uh, has the X-Men still battling the Katari on the moon and on Krakoa. Uh, Krakoa, rather. Uh, and uh, we get a little bit of a different telling of their battle, though. This battle is, take, is, is told in the, over the backdrop of a story that Exodus is telling a group of children who've been whisked away to safety about what it means to be a hero. Um, and he asks that question, what does it mean to be a hero? And he's telling the story as we are watching Magneto valiantly and very strategically fight the Katari, um, putting together the X-Men and all of their different powers and sort of using them in very strategic ways to win the day. Um, and, and it's a little bit of a hero worship thing. It's a little bit of a, you know, are we, is it a cult thing happening? But it's a very interesting telling of the story. So I would say check it out. So Thor number six, Donnie Cates, Nick Klein, Olivia Quipel. So uh, as we know, Thor has been the herald of Galactus. And as, as we learned in the last issue, Thor found out that Galactus is maybe not been as honest with him as he could have been. Uh, and so now Thor finds himself up against Galactus and the Black Winter, who we learn, spoilers, or maybe not, um, uh, spoilers, who is kind of the former boss of Galactus. So uh, so Thor is a little bit annoyed because he thought he's on this buddy cop thing with uh, Galactus and, you know, they're all going to save the day and make everyone happy. And that's maybe not so the case. In any event, Thor took care of that situation, but in the process got a glimpse of a future that shook him to the core and I think is going to play out um, in issues to come. Uh, my next two books are sort of newish types of books. Well, sort of. Uh, the next book is Shadow Service, number one. It's by Vault Comics, by Kevon Scott and Corin Howell. So I'm just going to read the, the little summary they provided there. So worried your partner's cheating? I need a missing person found. Gina Myers is a private investigator for you. Sure, she's a witch who worries that her powers make her more of a monster, 
than the crooks he's trying to catch. But it's a, it's not like London's criminal underworld is literally going to hell, is it? Spycraft meets black magic in this shadowy world of MI666. So something about that caught my attention as I was sort of flipping through uh, comicsology. So I thought I'd, I'd pick it up and check it out. And there is a lot of character building going on in this first one. But for whatever reason, as I was going through, I was very much getting a charmed meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer sort of vibe going on here. So I'm interested to see what, what goes on. Um, essentially, our detective is working a case for some people that her talking rat partner is not too fond of. Uh, and we've come to learn before the end of the book that maybe she's not working for exactly who she thinks she is, and she's a bit over her head as is revealed in the, the last page. So, of course, you get a cliffhanger that makes you want to come back for more. So I'm a sucker for that stuff. They got me. Last book. Genius number one. Uh, it's by Top Cow. Uh, Mark Bern- I'm going to try to say his name. Mark Bernardin and Adam Freeman. So I'm going to read this again. So this is basically uh, says the question is, what if the, the greatest military mind of our generation was born to a people who are already supremely conditioned to wage war, who know nothing but violence since birth and must continually adapt to new predators in order to survive? What if the second coming of Alexander the Great, of Genghis Khan, of Napoleon, of Patton, was what if it was a teenage girl from South Central named Destiny? And what if she decides to secede three blocks of the hood from the Union? Who is going to take it back from her and her army of gangbangers? Who can? So this book is real. Um, so I, I didn't know what to expect of reading this book, but I decided to give it a chance. It's, it, I think it came out in 2014. And essentially, you get some character building in this book as well. It's a little bit bigger. It's, I think it's like 40 pages. You definitely get some character building because you begin to see how this character, who's only 17, like it says, essentially becomes this incredible strategist, um, super strong, able to lay out long game, long game plans um, and sort of win the fight, uh, not driven by rage or anything like that, but very, very intelligent, sort of like Batman-level intelligent. Um, and it's just very interesting to see how she plays this out, how she uses – it's hard to say she's a hero or an anti-hero, but she uses her smarts and her strategy to wrangle competing gangs into working together against, you know, let's just say it, the man, uh, essentially. And uh, <laughs> let's just let's just say what it is <laughs> against the man. And the way she does it and the way things sort of unfold, it's just very clear that she is so far ahead of them that it's just a waste of their time. Um, and it's just interesting the way it's told, because like I said, not everything is, not everything that she does in the book is something that you would condone, but it's amazing that she's able to come up with it and, and the way it plays out. So I'm interested to see. This was only uh, issue one. This book came out in 2014. There's several issues. I'm going to continue to read it and sort of see where it goes, but I was hooked from this book. So we'll see what happens. And that is my lightning round. And that was genius number one you were just talking about? Yes. That sounds cool. It's actually very cool. I, I didn't know what to expect, but it's very cool. She's super smart, super cool. And who uh, who publishes that one? Uh, I think it was a, co- a collaboration between Top Cow and Image, but I think you can look it up under Top Cow. Okay. okay. Yeah, probably collected at this point. Oh, yeah, definitely. Huh. Cool. Thor. I've not, uh, I've not checked in with Thor yet. Not yet, um, ever since the first issue. How have you been liking it overall? It is not Jason Aaron. Mm-hmm. I will just say that. Um, it, I, it seemed as though I wanted to rely on or lean more into some of the relationships that have been mended, some of the fences that have been mended towards the end of Jason Aaron's book. 
the relationships that were there. Um, and I get that Donny Case wanted to sort of carve his own path out. So we're going to give him some time to do that. But um, one of the things that jumped out at me was it, it seems like something's going on with Thor. You know, they say heavy as a head. Um, but it seems like there's some things that are going on with Thor that is putting him at odds with um, the people around him who who love him. And I guess to some degree that makes sense when you ascend to being a king of the people that you were previously sort of friends with. But I don't know. I've said in the past several, several episodes that I've, I really enjoy some of the relationships that Marvel digs into, and I feel like they've not been, you know, there's been some issues with Beta Ray Bill. There's been some issues with Sif. There's been some issues with, you know, I just... I'm going to continue reading because there's, you know, every time you think you, you know, you might be done, they reveal something that's sort of like, hmm. <laughs> just enough. Ah, okay. uh, exactly. Age stingers will get you every time. Exactly. So, um, you know, I, I want to give Donnie Cates an opportunity to sort of continue to grow this. And maybe as I look at, look back over it as a, you know, collective of, of arcs, then I will see the growth and I'll see the pattern. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to cancel it after, a, you know, one episode, but. We'll see what happens. I, I kind of did. I got one issue into this run <laughs> and left. And only because I had a track record. Jason Aaron did a wonderful Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. also with, with Chris Gottschalow on the art. And then Donnie Cates took over and basically left in the dust all the relationships and interesting things that Aaron had left behind. I know you want a writer wants to make it their own, but... For the reader, it can be really jarring if it comes off as yeah. a completely different character. Yeah. I mean, you left War of the Realms and you left, you know, Thor believing that there were just some things that were put in place, some relationships that you'd be able to lean on and some, you know, a direction, not necessarily a direction that the story would go in, but maybe a direction that the character, the character's growth would carry over yeah. um, that he would be less of a hothead and more of a, you know, of the leader that he demonstrated himself to be towards the end of Aaron's run. And it sort of seems like maybe that's not the case. Almost like we've sort of, you know, I think we talked about it in the past, how we sort of de-age Barbara Gordon sometimes to do yeah. the story. It sort of seems like that um, to me. Anyway, um, it's not a bad story. It's just not, it's, it's not the same story. You will see the differences you know, when you, when you, if you get from, if you take the leap from Jason Aaron to Donny Cates, um, and you might love them and you may not, but mm-hmm. I'll stick around for a little while. Uh, behind the controls talk just for a second. Was anybody else getting some robot while, uh, Aaron was going on from time to time? Yes. Yep. You were. Okay. So that's going to yep. be on all the recordings. Awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just throw it in there once a week, something breaks and whatever, but it wouldn't be talking comics if we didn't have it. Hey, listen, we're lucky the internet is still working at this stage where the, uh, the world is right now. So, you know, that I've been dealing with literal trash fires, right? Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Wow. I feel it's important that, that we acknowledge that 2020 is a trash fire and I have been dealing with literal trash fires, actual burning waste. That's so, a hell of a way yeah. to talk about your friends. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You're all trash waste. fires. <laughs> <laughs> You're walking dumpster fires, just so you all know. So your 2020 must smell amazing then. Uh, luckily, they I haven't actually had to physically be on site Um 
And, and honestly, burning waste smells better than waste in the summertime just rotting yes. out. Yeah, I, I get that. How did my life, life end up here? <sighs> Delicious. <laughs> Does anybody <laughs> anybody have any comments or questions for uh for Aaron? I'm not reading uh some of your stuff. I don't really have any any inquire. I I miss reading Justice League Dark. I was reading that for at least two arcs, and then uh, I don't know. I think it had to get cut because I was buying too many comic books. <laughs> I I really like it. I I don't know. I I love that you have Detective Chimp and Man Bat, and they're like integral parts of the team, and yeah. they just sort of crack me up sometimes. And other times, uh, they have really been using Detective Chimp in some great ways, just to sort of. You know, one minute he's saying something that's just so hysterically funny, and the next minute he's saying something that, you know, makes you want to cry. Yeah, something really um, profound. Yeah, it's 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 really cool. Um, yeah. And it's amazing because Wonder Woman, even though she's the most recognizable character here, she's not necessarily the central character. No, no, no. Like, I, I read, like, me, like, at least the first in the teens, maybe, and was really, really enjoying it. I just... uh I just fell away from it, but I might have to go back at some point and check it out. I have yeah. to say, it's not something I've ever read, but the more I hear you talk about it, the more I want to pick it up. So, Yeah, it's Thanks. just a little bit different than all the other, you know, I don't know. It's just taking a different path, and it's really focusing on these lesser-known characters. I think the evil plan was to, if we slap Wonder Woman on the cover, people will pick it up. Um, but we'll, but we'll really tell this story about Zatanna and Constantine and Detective Chimp and Man Bat and Swamp Thing and whoever else happens to roll through at the time. Mm. If they did a Zatanna book, I'd be there in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. But they're they're telling a story that that's where she began back in '64, looking for her dad. Mm-hmm. So she guessed it across five or six other books. So I'm I'm intrigued by the way you described it. I got to tell you. Yeah, there's a, a, a flashback scene here that I think will probably speak to you, Bob. There's a flashback scene in this issue um, that kind of explains, and it may be a new take because I'm not 100% sure what the original path was of what happened to Zatara, but um, there's a scene there that gives some insight into what she did as a child, not realizing that you know there is a cost to everything. And it was almost a scenario where Zatara literally jumped in front of the bullet for her. Um, and that's what sort of le- ended up, you know. It's, it's, in, that, it's in that ballpark. If you get a chance, there was a lovely young adult graphic novel, Zatanna and the House of Secrets. Oh, okay. Last year. It was really, really well done. And it's, it's, it's light, certainly. But there are consequences to what goes on with uh, her dad, Zatara. Who goes back to Action Comics number one, amazingly enough? Hmm. He's an original. Yeah, I like her character. Her character is being portrayed pretty well here. Yeah, if you get a chance, there was a wonderful 12-issue Zatanna series just before the the new 52. It was back in the old 52 or the old 28 or whatever. <laughs> the old 52. Um, <laughs> and it, it was Paul Dini, for the most part, who really handled the character well as a mystical detective series. I am actually going to look it up right now um, because I'm going to try to milk this DC Universe subscription for all it's worth before they shut it down at some point. (laughs) (laughs) And there's also a great Black Canary Zatanna graphic novel with art by Joe Canonis that's worth getting. Actually, I think I have that one. Okay. Joe Canonis, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. 
we always stop and say hi because uh, his mom is a client of Melissa Megan's. That's right. That's right. I <laughs> so, do remember. So we, that. we always have to stop and say hi to Joe. That's funny. Okay, Bob. Sure. Whenever you are ready, sir. Okay, we'll start. Leading off, I read Wonder Woman number 761 by Mariko Tamaki and Carlo Barbieri. Next up, Fantastic Four Antithesis wow. number one. <laughs> wow. The shade. Oh, wow. Uh, by Mark Wade, Neil Adams, Mark Farmer, Laura Martin, and Joe Caramagna is billed as a new story from a classic era. And for good and ill, it does read that way. While there are a few fun retro moments there, they're bundled with some very tropey bits featuring the distracted Reed and the put-upon Sue. That while they are true to the mid-60s era, with this book featuring Franklin and Val, it's as if all the character growth added by creators such as John Byrne, Jonathan Hickman, Matt Fraction, and Mr. Wade himself did never happen. As to the art, I'm a big Neil Adams fan, but I've always felt that he didn't draw the FF very well, and particularly the thing. And while the pencils are dynamic in their own way, much of it seems overwrought and hyper-tense. With a different, lighter hand on the art, say the All Reds, this anachronistic story might have played less discordantly, but what can you do? You get what you get. On a happier note, Amy Reader's Amethyst, and while this sounds like hyperbole, uh, this is issue five. We're at the very next to last, and each, each issue has topped the one before. The story and characters continue to offer surprises as we've moved along, and art-wise, although this will sound silly too, Ms. Reader has set a new personal benchmark here. Ably abetted by colorist Marissa Louise and literary Gabriella Downey, simply put, this is a wonderful young reader's book that many more people should be reading. In Black Magic number 13 by Greg Rucka, Nicholas Scott, Chara Arena, and Jody Wynn, there are demons about in Portsmouth, and they, are, and they bedevil Rowan Black and Alex Gray, and they are not only of the supernatural kind. Book of many layers and depths of characterization that continuously finds a way to surprise, delight, and shock. Just superb. Wicked Things number four by John Allison, Max Sarin, Whitney Kogar, and Jim Campbell gives Teen Detective of the Year 16 to 18 division Charlotte Grody a chance to show off her skills as the police inspector has decided to let her ride along as her theory on how some seemingly random crimes might be linked could be more accurate than anyone thought. That said, when Charlotte remarks, I warn you, I'm a maverick, I go where the investigation takes me. If you go where the investigation takes you, you'll be tasered, is his reply. <laughs> just just great stuff. While in the Tackleford headspace, I dove backwards into Bad Machinery Volume 1, The Curse of the Team Spirit by John Allison, landing at the Griswold Grammar School, where Lottie's adventure sleuthing began in earnest. Here, the mystery of a possible curse surrounding the building of a new football stadium for Tackleford City FC well, that threatens the home of Russian emigre Elena Nabokova, a.k.a. Mrs. Biscuits, who's befriended Lottie and her friend Shauna. This is everything by John Allison. Bad Machinery is filled with just wonderful characters, sharp dialogue, and interesting situations, and gets my highest recommendation. That's it for me. Ah, Shadesville. Ooh, the Wonder Woman shade. 
Listen, wow. I'll I'll wow. I'll back Bob up on this. I you know I've been hanging in since Mariko Tamaki took over the character, and I am going to go till the end of the arc. But I have to agree that after three issues, there's not much that I'm enjoying about this story so far. Uh, I did not care for the art change this yeah. this issue. Uh, I felt that it was a, a, bi- a big step down from what we had going on with Mikhail Janin. But uh, yeah, I just – this story is taking the character into some territory that I just don't want to see the character in. And um, it's very – it's a very hostile book like all around. And um, that's – the world is already so hostile – that I don't know that I want to feel hostility, you know, coming off of my Wonder Woman book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, so go ahead. I've not caught up on it. And you've just used the word hostile in a sentence about Wonder Woman. And now I don't think I want to get caught up on it. Like, I've got all the issues. I just haven't read them. And there's I want hope well, for Diana. There, I want ha- yeah, yeah, there isn't mm. a shred of that trying to understand what the situation is before she reacts threateningly you know and i I know that she's dealing with a character and a villain that has done terrible things in the past and and all these things but when i think of wonder woman i think of compassion and i think of even stuff from the the justice league dark like investigation and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and just her immediate reaction is like she woke up from this coma or whatever and she's taken Maxwell Lord. She's got her her hand wrapped around his neck, and she's lifting yeah. him off off the ground and screaming in his face. And I just, it's been like three issues of this mm-hmm. out, out of the gate. And you know, everybody knows how much we love Mariko Tamaki's work overall. I just, I don't know what this book is saying. I don't know where it's going, and I don't find this to be the tone, especially when we're supposed to be leading up to the release of a new Wonder Woman film, I, I I don't feel like this is the right vibe for me right now for this character. So, yeah. I, I was going to say, yeah, I 100% agree. I, I was kind of hoping that maybe that character direction was going to be something that was, you know, a temporary sort of explosion onto the scene. And then we were going to begin to see some more familiar aspects of Diana, but I, I just haven't seen. And then I'm trying to figure out what's going on with Etta Candy. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. Well, both, well, both character wise and visually. So character wise, I thought, at least I thought from the Orlando book that after the Leviathan thing, wasn't she working for a nonprofit or something like that? Wasn't she out of the military? I thought so. So so now she's back in the middle of like the highest level of of military you know machinations. Um I don't I don't know where that happened. Um and then who has ever cut their hair that way? <laughs> okay, ever. now I have to read the book just to see yeah. the bad haircut. I'm oh, like what it's... what is what what I'm looking at this. I'm like, I feel as though I was angered when I look at it because I love the character of Etta, but it seems like they continue. So when they, they, 
don't know. It seems like when they addressed Edda's sexuality previously, her characterization became more and more and more masculine. Mm. Yes. And it bugs me because it's stereotypical. And so now you have Edda with this weird mohawk thing, <laughs> wearing baggy clothes, almost no resemblance to a female. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with, but it it's seems like the correct. It seems like the character was pushed in that direction to better drive home the point that she's a lesbian now. And that annoyed me. It really annoyed me. So I don't know. I, I, I'm struggling with it. I really so want to saying is Etta Candy got a big gay haircut and nobody told me. Basically. It was like a bad version of Storm's haircut and yeah, in the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, it really is. And then so. we have we have we have panels of, of Diana looking as if she has plastic man's neck stretching about five feet. Yeah, I just I don't know I, what's supposed I, to be happening here, but I'm trying. Yeah, the art change was really harsh. Uh the latest issue. Yeah, Mikkel's art looks so good on this book, particularly, well, it was great on Batman, but able to have a lighter book to do seemed to have brought out something really special in his artwork, and that was the saving grace of the first couple of issues. Mm -hmm. uh, no. no yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's a little, like, blow-up doll now? I didn't want to go there, but yes, there's a little bit of porn face going on back to the David Finch era. Oh, yeah. And to be fair, the the artist style could very well gel with another book, another story, another character. I just don't find it to be complimentary to the character here. No. So definitely not. Ah, uh, that was fun. Good times. This is oh. this is this is not how I expected today to go. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, I thought everyone was going to be nice about books. I didn't know that the terrible things were going to happen. I'm going to be nice about uh, books in a few minutes. I didn't say anything about Wonder Woman. He hated it. All I said exactly. was I read it. <laughs> I read it. Uh, Aaron, did you have any other comments for Bob? I see your name next to a few of these books here. So it's interesting that you said that about Fantastic Four because I swear to you, as I was reading it, I kept going back and saying, is this like a reprinting? Of something from like years ago. I'm like, did I not? Should I cross reference this with Marvel Unlimited or something? I don't know if I'm reading a new book. And so I, I thought the same thing. I was just, you confirm my, my perspective on it. I wasn't really sure. I almost felt like, has the story been told at some point? Um, but then it kind of confuses me because it kind of, it's a little weird because doesn't Norrin show up? He shows up in Thor. Yeah. Um, and he's black in Thor. He's got that sort of coloring in Thor and he seems perfectly fine. And, you know, well, things happen to Galactus and Thor that I don't know if this is supposed to be connected to it. I don't know, but it's just very interesting timing. So, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I didn't know what to make of it. I was like, okay, well, I think it was it four. Yeah, it's four, four issues I've already wasted my money on. So, yeah. There you go. So <laughs> then you got Black Magic. Who? Yeah, everybody's getting some in Black Magic. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> everybody's getting it from every which way. But oh. it may not turn out very well. Uh, well, or many of them. Have another drink. We will I, see. I it, it is gorgeous and well written, and always a delight. 
That book gives me anxiety because I'm like, oh, someone's going to bite it. Someone I care for is going to bite it. I can tell. I'm just waiting for it. <laughs> no, we care for everybody. That's the, the beauty of, of Rucker's writing here. Yep. Um, I just looked up Etta Candy's haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. I am disappointed. She looks like she looks like Mojo from Mojo World on, on, on X behalf. Yeah. I'm like, you're offending me. I'm like, what are you doing with with her? <laughs> if this was how she was originally drawn, I would not at all be be saying this. But the evolution of this character almost immediately after her sexuality was revealed is just beyond me. It's just what what is it's the point you're trying to make? Oh, God, you know, I just, anyway. So this podcast is super positive. Wow. (laughs) Hey, I really like, I liked Amethyst, Black Magic, Wicked Things, and Bad Machinery. Love them all. Uh, Yeah, they, yeah. (laughs) No, no, they absolutely, absolutely. All right. Can I uh, get a little lightning for a lightning round? (laughs) Boom. (laughs) So. Uh, I read a couple of comics this week, including Bliss Number Two. Woo! Yeah, you might remember we had Sean and Caitlin on the show a couple of weeks ago to talk about Bliss Number One. Super enjoyed that, and I am happy to say that Bliss Number Two is just as good, if not better, than that debut issue. So, huzzah! This issue is basically. Uh, I'll go into into some plot stuff. Not heavy, though, so chill. Uh, Perry, the son, continues uh, to try and justify his father's actions by holding a metaphorical mirror up to the judge and jury. He's basically fighting uh, for the soul of his dad in this, in this story. His dad has done some terrible things, if you don't know the background for Bliss. Uh, so Perry dissects the human condition and how we've all done things that we'd rather forget and how we're all guilty of turning a blind eye when faced with things like war or suffering. Sean and Caitlin also show you, uh, they show you Benton the killer, that's the father, in this issue, but they also show you Benton the, the, the father, this warm, caring, funny protector who tables all of this residual guilt for the sake of his family and this story. Uh, and I must say, there's also this really great like real talk conversation shared between Benton and his wife, Mabel, that I really, really loved. It confirms what Sean and Caitlin had said about Mabel taking on a larger role in the story moving forward. And that happens in, in this second issue and uh, really, really added a lot to a lot to the story for me. And uh, I mean, the artwork from Caitlin, even just that first page like you, you open this book and there's this almost like a, I don't even know what you would call it, like a hell pyre or some kind of like afterlife uh, vigil of sorts and uh, dealing in like the realms of the of the gods and stuff like that. And there's this crackdown happening. People are starting to talk in the book about there being this drug out there and how some of its ingredients couldn't possibly be man-made and... Uh, Oh man, Benton gets dispatched. It's crazy. It's crazy. I really, really dig this series, obviously, uh, a whole lot. Uh, Bob, did you get a chance to check it out? Yeah, absolutely. And all those things you're talking about have really deepened yeah. the story, which was already multi-layered the first time around. Mm-hmm. 
I just love, as you pointed out the last time, the, the, the gods and demigods that we're seeing and how they all interact with what's going on, the, the trial. I, I also love the beginning, and we, we discussed some of this back then, the idea of to move forward, you need to forget, which is something I, I, I don't agree with, but a lot of people put that out there so that that's part of this whole storyline. You can then read into what you want. It To me, if you forget why things happened, you'll repeat the same mistakes. And I have a feeling as we move forward, we're going to see some do-overs that aren't going to go over quite so well. Loving this book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Aaron, did you get a chance to check it out? I did, and I think Lin-Manuel Miranda has amazing range. (laughs) (laughs) In this book, it's a – wow, who knew? Um, I do love this book. Uh, First of all, I did say when I first – when I read issue one that I love the the artwork and the detail of the artwork, so that is what smacked me in the face first. But I think the question that's being asked, which I think Bob just – sort of touched on as well is what is your perspective of these actions so you have all those people that are sort of in the courtroom who are either victims or victim adjacent you know versus the the committer the perpetrator of all these heinous acts you know who who's perceived in a different way and if you're someone who's experienced that sort of impact of a violent crime on your life and your family then you sort of have odd little triggers you know, when you're reading it. So I, I, I appreciate the way that question was being asked and the, and the way it's being addressed in the book. I, I'm, it, again, feeds me into the point and see what's ha- going to happen in number three. Yeah, yeah. It's turning into an extraordinarily cerebral book. I think we got a taste of that in the first one. But now with the second issue, Caitlin and Sean are, are really starting to show their hand as to this series asking its readers a bunch of big questions. And kind of making you question your morals as you're looking at the actions of these characters and what are they guilty of? Is, is redemption possible? And um, the idea that we don't know what the bigger picture is yet, but the idea of Benton kind of being uh, a savior to the people of the city, they just haven't revealed why that is just yet. I find to be very intriguing and I'm, I'm curious to see how that's, going to be explained or you know they're going to give you little pieces of that to make up your own mind however they decide to execute the story i just know that i'm i'm all in on on this and uh you know it's nice when creators that are that we consider friends of the show just come out with these these bangers of of comics and and coyotes was special in its own way, and now you have this, and this is just this is some next level stuff, I think, from both of them. But just as Aaron said, the artwork does smash you right in the face. Yeah, it is so cinematic, and yet still within comics, the, the layout of the panels within the pages helps tell the story beyond what's in those panels themselves. Yeah, uh, just just amazing. And as you're saying, Steve, the, we've had creators on early in their careers and to watch things blossom is just so special from our perspective. For every reason we saw something and it was all, we, we need to talk to these people and then it blows up the way this did. Wow. Yeah. Super stuff. 
And I really love uh, Caitlin doing some some really interesting things with color and the, yes. the lighting in these issues of that. Everything seems to be lit by either moonlight or like soft, low voltage bulbs. Mm-hmm. Particularly sort of backlit, yes. Yeah, like when you're yeah. when you're in the house and Benton's like the glow of the television is all you've really gotten. Maybe a faint glow of the light from the kitchen, but it just it casts this like eerie, otherworldly vibe around the whole city, and it, it it gives it a whole new life. And I I just love it. That that scene in the house. I don't know if you've any any of you three have seen the original version of the thing, the thing from another world from 1951. No. no. Um, it's from the same story that who goes there by John W. Campbell that Carpenter uses much more of it. They didn't have the facilities to make that kind of movie in 51 with shape-shifting aliens and so on. But there's a shot in that movie where James Arness is playing the thing. He's sort of a Frankenstein-y monster from outer space. He bursts into a room where everyone's waiting for him. And they basically set him on fire with kerosene and a flare gun Oof. and it, it's 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 the longest burn in movie history to that point the only light in the room is this human torch this man on fire oh my god and that right that's it was just brilliantly done for 51 film stock wasn't the way it is now cameras weren't but it has that kind of glow throughout a room that is you you, you almost want to look away but you can't it just sort of there's something eerie about how it happens, and that TV in the background gave me the same sort of feeling as if, wow, there's this thing I probably shouldn't be looking at that's lighting the room, but something's going on there. Love that. Love that scene. Did they have burn suits back then, or was this like a, a dummy? Oh, it was a real guy running across the room on fire, Whoa. swiping at people, holding mattresses in front of them, busting through a wall, jumping out into the snow in the same way it happens in the Carpenter film, and then rolling around. It was a guy in a giant asbestos suit. Wow. James Arness was about six foot six. So it was more than likely a six foot tall guy wearing a whole lot of asbestos. But they literally on set throw kerosene on him and blow him up. Wow. Check out the scene in the film. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. An asbestos suit? Yeah, which is flame proof, right? So he's wearing asbestos and probably covered in horse hair or something. Oh, to prevent you from getting asbestos. Okay, I thought <laughs> that you meant that he was like no, no. wearing a suit made of asbestos. Yes, yeah. he, yes no. he was. Yes, yes that's what you mean. Oh, back in Good God. Just flame proof. Would've, would've. Yes. People, people weren't as aware then as they are now. What are we doing? Asbestos. Well, we didn't know that until about 15 years ago. Steve. Exactly. They were In 51, they thought asbestos was... <laughs> the next best thing. Right. Every every old building is the pipes in the basement are covered in asbestos. Wow. If you restore an old building, you have to have the EPA show up and quarantine the building to pull the asbestos off the pipes. But at the time they were just like, hey, roll it out. <laughs> make make a whole suit out of it. It'll be fine. They had yeah. no idea. I'm, I'm sure that stuntman from 51 is long dead. <laughs> yeah, probably from asbestos. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to laugh like that. Well, look, it, it's 70 years ago. He would have been dead one way or the other. I shouldn't say that. That's... Oh, God, it got so dark. I'm nervous. also reading yeah. John Constantine Hellblazer. So okay. Dark. <laughs> so dark. What happened? Numbers eight and nine. I took those in over the past few days. So eight is a continuation. It's the Britannia rule the waves part two uh, story. If you remember, I talked about 
Constantine Hellblazer on the show a few weeks ago because it's absolutely amazing and it's been canceled and I'm so pissed. Everybody buy the trade because that's the only way this thing is going to come back. So Britannia Rule the Waves is this... For this arc of Constantine, it seems like Cy Spurrier and Aaron Campbell, Jordi Belair, and uh, Aditya Bidikar have gone into mythological creatures and cautionary tales revolving around those creatures. And so what you have here for the Rule the Waves arc is a cautionary relationship tale of an abusive relationship between a fisherman and a woman that he found in the ocean that is also a mermaid and is able to kind of bring the fish to him and, and, and convince them to swim in the water so that he can pick them up and sell them and live large and stuff like that. And, uh, it's this whole thing. I'm not going to get into too many of the details because i really, I, I want you to read it. It is so terrifying and so powerful and I absolutely love it. The ninth issue had uh, art from Matias uh, Baraga from Coda. And this is – oh, did you hear that? That was Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this issue has the royal family have been sold the semen of a unicorn – so that they can breed okay. so they can breed the ultimate racehorse and their plan backfires i love sisparia so much that's all i'm going to tell you about this latest issue of hellblazer doesn't sound like a good plan i'm just saying no no it's not a good plan it has some very disastrous results uh, satisfying but disastrous all the same this series is positively incredible. In many ways, it is everything that I've ever wanted from a Constantine book. I, I like the character of Constantine, and I kind of like when he's a guest in things, but I've never really warmed to the mainline stuff, or at least that I've read in my limited experience. But this, what Cy Spurrier and his team are doing on this run, I know it's ending later this year with issue number 12. Mm. I'm super sad about that because I this is a book that I would love to see go on for just years and years and years. And it end up as this like three volume omnibus beast because there's so much potential with John Constantine just kind of being this magic slum guy he's always in the shadows he's doing favors for people and getting mixed up in things there are no other superheroes to come in and you know change the mood of it it's very murky it's very scary like it, it's like old folklore and stuff like that it's black label so there's plenty of language for you and the language in general the way that Spurrier writes this world and the dialogue is like its own little verbal puzzle in a way. And, and I just, I've fallen in love with it. John Constantine says some of the most amazing shit I've ever heard come out of any character's mouth. And, uh, I, I think everybody would get a, a kick out of it. If, uh, if they were to pick it up, you should well, here, uh, let me jump right in. Not only, pick, not only pick it up now, pre-order the trade. Yeah. Because any of those kind of things might get this book back on the radar again. Yeah, that's what uh Cy was was tweeting out and talking about. Huh. Like the only way the only way to save this is to is to pre order the stuff and buy the issue. So, you know, if you're at all curious about this book, I, I implore you, please 
Help, help, hashtag help save Hellblazer. <laughs> it, it worked for the Wasp, right? Yeah, Trade it's worked for plenty of books. Roll the second series. You know, I know that um, Tom Taylor has his uh, Hellblazer, I think, coming out this week. This week. Yeah, and it's, uh, I think it's a three-issue mini? Yes. It's yeah. Hellblazer Rise and Fall. It's a three-issue miniseries. Right. So I've always been told that if you don't understand the UK lingo, that you're not going to be able to properly write John Constantine. What are your thoughts on that? Are you asking me or are you asking Sarah? Uh, whoever. I guess because I've heard that mentioned for years about Constantine that if it's an American trying to write Constantine that you can always tell when there's something that's just not genuine, you know, in the language. But if it's something from the UK who's writing Constantine, then they they tend to get the the spirit right or understanding, you know, how it, what he's trying to get across would be spoken. And I've I've never read Constantine, you know, consistently. I mean, I'm reading him in Justice League Dark and a couple other books that he sort of rolls through, but I've never read a full-on Constantine book. I, mean, I would say, for me, this current Constantine being written by Cy Spurrier is absolutely perfect. Um, he gets the language so well. There are points in that I think I'm up to, I'm either on six or seven. I'm so far behind on my reading. Um, but he uses language that I would expect to hear from someone like Constantine. And there's one point where they even take the piss out of his accent. And they say, nice. you know, it's Cockney with a bit of Scouse thrown in just to confuse people. And they use language that I know Americans would not put in a book because there's, you know, the word that I'm not allowed to say because it's really rude and people get offended. And then I get tweets telling me that I'm a terrible woman. Um, <laughs> I'm so fed up with those conversations. It's just a word. Okay. Um, but the way that he uses the language and even right at the start of this run, when he's got the kind of um, the lads in the council estate and <sighs> it's really difficult to explain to a non-English speaker how the English language differs within even within London. Like there are so many different London accents and they are all completely right in this book. And the way that he throws what some people might think is an insult around as almost like a term of endearment it's really hard to explain but yes you can tell when it's an american writing constantine and yes you can tell when it's a brit writing constantine and the current john constantine it just has that bitter old bloke sitting in the pub that's had enough and doesn't like what's going on in the world and swears a lot and drinks too much and thinks he's so much better than everybody else and um like if your mate walks in the pub and you go all right wanker you're being nice yes but there's a oh, lot of people that wouldn't realize that because if you say all right you wanker you're not being nice and there is a very thin line between knowing when calling someone a wanker is a nice thing and when calling someone a wanker is trying to start a fight. And this book gets it. Am I making sense here? I feel yeah, like I'm not yes, you are. Yes. That um, should be the name of the show. The difference between a wanker and a wanker. <laughs> yes. There is a world of difference between calling someone a wanker and calling someone a wanker. It's just, there just is. Make a nice t-shirt too. <laughs> yeah. 
I did just pick up a t-shirt this week that says, what doesn't kill me, better start running. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not holding back anymore. I'm done. This year has just battered me to the point at which I'm like, literally going to wear it on my t-shirt. <laughs> Good for you. Oh, man. Uh, I still have other things left. Not not anything super uh, pressing or anything. I uh, can't believe this is... I'm going to say this. But I'm going to say it. I'm going to admit it. Here we go. I started playing Fortnite. What? Wow. Fortnite. You're so used. It's so good. It's so much fun. <laughs> they started the new Battle Passes, this whole Marvel Nexus event. You get to be like Thor, Wolverine, Mystique, Jennifer Walters slash She-Hulk, and yes. other, yeah, like other characters. I picked up Doom's uh, gauntlets the other day and was shooting his powers out of my fists I picked up the Doom Bomb. Uh, this game, I am not great at it yet, although I have had some second place rankings uh, on my first game, nonetheless. So I've been playing with our friend Megs, and that has been absolutely wonderful. Just, you know, catching up and talking about the game and about the, the world and everything. I, I, I hooked up with her pretty much right after we, we heard about Chadwick Boseman, and it was... Uh, it was a really good mood lifter to to get in there and just mess around in this game. I can't build while playing to save my soul, so maybe that's something that I'll have to work on and, and develop in, in future matches, but I can definitely see why that game has, has taken over the way it has in the last couple of years and why parents dread <laughs> this game. It is such a money sink. Like, I've only bought the, the Battle Pass so far but i'll be damned if they have a silver surfer you could be the silver surfer right now and he comes with the damn board wow you can jump <laughs> out of a plane go silver and hop onto your board and just silver silver surf your way down onto the map and start picking things up and it is uh it's like a really elaborate game of hide and seek uh especially when you're playing solos and i completely dig it and i can't believe that like three or four years into its life cycle that I'm just now getting into Fortnite. Uh, it's good stuff. So anyway, Marvel, Marvel adjacent. Anyway, uh, last but not least, just super quick. I'm going to say that Bronwyn and I watched Bill and Ted face the music last night. And I was worried about this movie because sometimes they do these, this thing where they bring people back uh, you know, 25, 30 years later to do a thing. And instead of it being good, it just ends up being a cringe fest. And that was my fear going into Bill and Ted. Like, I, I know they have the best of intentions. They've been trying to make this movie forever for the fans, for themselves and everything. And given everything that's gone, that's gone on this year, really, really just wanted something goofy and lighthearted and positive. And holy crap. They did it. They did oh. it. They did it. They awesome. made they made a movie. I will admit, the first like fifteen minutes, it took me a little bit to warm up to it to kind of get into the groove. But Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter do not miss a beat in terms of portraying these characters. That they still got it, and it's still so pure. You know that this this kind of absent-mindedness that they have. And, you know, they've learned some things. They're much older now. But um, just great performances, particularly from Alex Winter. 
he was obviously having so much fun getting into all the prosthetic makeup and playing these different versions of themselves as, as you travel throughout this movie. And I also really enjoyed, they have daughters uh, in this movie played by Samara Weaving and Bridget Lundy. Oh, Payne. love her. Yeah. Love her from Ray. Ray yeah. I Go have to it. say, okay, I will say this. I don't know that this movie, she did a, she did a wonderful job. I absolutely love everything that Samara Weaving does. She's one of my favorite young actresses uh, working today. I don't know that they needed her for this. Okay. She does a she does a, a fine job, but like Bridget Lundy Payne playing Ted's daughter, it just she was amazing. I don't know how much time she spent watching the Bill and Ted movies, but holy crap, does she have her character down? Uh, and Samara Weaving is wonderful too. I just. Her performance, I think, was a bit overpowered by Bridget Lundy Payne because she just she stood out so much in this movie. Uh, lots of fun nods to the original two films and just so, so, so absurd in a fun way. When you consider after the last two films that Bill and Ted have like an existing relationship with death and death was in their band and death was this character that for a time was creating music with them and touring with them and, and things of the like. And it's just so ridiculous. And, and I really needed it. We watched it last yeah. night and I had a stupid smile on my face. Bronwyn broke during a particular moment. Uh, and there's a robot character. I won't spoil it for you, but I was going to, I was going to ask, I think I know where that would have to be. She laughed her ass off tears in the eyes wiped them off with a tissue lost her voice just could not stop laughing i had to pause the movie and let her get it out of her system so it was really 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 good we uh we both enjoyed it a lot uh yeah yeah you know they they, they did it it could have been it could have been embarrassing and and it wasn't it was a joy and i i'm really really happy that it exists and it it wraps up their story really well. I would love to see a spinoff with the daughters, possibly. Uh, and their subplot throughout this movie is also a lot of fun. They kind of go back to the plot of, of bouncing around time and, and picking up iconic figures uh, throughout time to help with their current situation and who who they've chosen to assemble I didn't know about any of these characters being in the movie and it was so they were all musical icons. So you got to you got to see some pretty pretty cool people uh musicians show up in this movie. That was a lot a lot of fun. So uh yeah, there you go. Bill and Ted face the music. Awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Uh so let's see here. Books super quick that we talked about cuz this has been a long a long road for lightning rounds. <laughs> uh, we got Wonder Woman number 761, Fantastic Four Antithesis number one, Amethyst number five, Black Magic 13, Wicked Things number four, Bad Machinery volume one, The Case of the Team Spirit, Shadow Service number one, Justice League Dark number 25, X-Men 11, Thor 6, Genius number one, Sarah's books were Wind, number three, Ghosted in L.A., volume one, and Harrow County, one through 19. 
Uh, and I talked about Bliss number two and John Constantine Hellblazer, specifically eight and nine. But go out, buy it all, read the whole damn thing. It is amazing. Yas. Yas. Who would like to do some listener questions? Woo. Oh, me, 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 pick me, pick me. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're gonna we're gonna do this question from John. You all know John Burkle, writes for the site yes, and has been uh, on the podcast yes. a handful of times. John writes, hello all. Sorry if I bypass the usual channels for this. <laughs> no, he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> not sure what's on your agenda in the coming weeks, but I have uh, been keeping a debate. Oh, wait. I've been what? But I keep having a debate. I'm sorry. Uh, and might be uh, an interesting discussion for you all to ponder from a cultural, financial, and comics medium impact, who is the most important comic book character of all time? So if they did not exist or were never created, comics would be vastly different today. So not the greatest character or best character, but the most important character to comics. I've argued that it comes down to Superman or Spider-Man, but I can also make a case for Wolverine, since I believe that the X-Men are uh, the all-time most important franchise in comics. I can explain my reasoning if you want, but I don't want to influence you either. Uh, like I said, just for a fun discussion, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Okay, so who is the most important comic book character? Aaron. The Tick. <laughs> um, is that your final answer? <laughs> Um, well, no, I was actually going to say what I said when we were chatting about it before, but, um, I was trying to figure out why I was having difficulty coming down with one. And I don't think there is one. I mean, I would think that you would land on Superman because of where he sort of took the direction of comics at the time. But then I'm thinking oh, along the way, there are all these, you know, milepost characters that sort of shifted things along the way. So at difficulty, um, I think I'm just going to say, uh, I'm just going to pick one. I'm just going to, you know, take the easy way out. And because I think honestly, this, he probably did have that sort of impact, but Superman, I, I yeah, would have totally, to say. Totally. Yeah. I would, I would agree with you. I have three names on my list for sure. Superman is at the top. I think Spider-Man also poses a really good argument. And the other would be Batman. You know, all your all your, your usual suspects. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, Sarah, what do you think? I, th I don't care. We're all going to kind of our answers here because... <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, if there was no character of Superman, then would we have superheroes in the way that we have and would the character of batman have turned into a superhero rather than being a detective so i think that kind of lends it to superman in that way um i think we can't talk about the most important characters without mentioning wonder woman uh, mm -hmm. because you know she's seminal i don't know that i'd include wolverine like i get why john's mentioned that but I, I think comics could exist the way that they do without Wolverine. I think it is always going to boil down to um, the early characters. So Captain America, Superman, probably the Fantastic Four, 
Spider-Man, Batman, Wonder Woman. God, I wish there were more women in that list. Um, because they've had, they've been around the longest, therefore they've had the biggest impact on, mm-hmm. on comics. And from a financial perspective, you only have to look at the books that DC are putting out at the moment, of which there are 10,000 bat books. <laughs> um, and like 20 million bat movies to say, well, that clearly has a massive financial impact because otherwise, why would there be so many of those books? Um, whereas, you know, okay, there's like the Wolverine book and Wolverine appears in other books, but he, he's not had the same financial impact as the bat because that's just a character that lends itself well to you know movies and games and having a large extended family of weirdos and reprobates <laughs> oh okay wow <laughs> it's, i was i was um sorting out a whole bunch of books today um and i was like why is there a giant space on the shelf and it was because every single copy that we'd ordered of the three jokers had sold wow. and that would have happened if batman didn't exist so from that kind of impact you know if if not i'm trying to look at it not just as the character but also the what spun out of those characters so obviously you know superman gives us jimmy olsen and lois lane are the first two that spring to mind whereas batman you've got harley quinn and you've got the joker and you've got all those other characters that have all their own books um can someone please just stop me talking now because i've had a lot of caffeine today you're doing fine (laughs) well why don't we have a bob why don't you give us your answer well, I, I think all the big ones have been taken by you guys, very rightly so. In our side discussion, when John sent us this initially, he said no teams. But I would agree with Sarah in that the Fantastic Four, for what spun out of that book in terms of characters, whether it's Galactus and the Surfer and the Black Panther and the Inhumans and all the rest. But there's there's no modern Marvel comics unless that book comes out. Unless FF1 comes out, it would have been over with. But going to, since John tasked us with saying no teams, and all the all the good ones are taken, for me, I'll go this way. The most important character in comic books history was created by writer, editor, art director, publisher Stanley Martin Lieber, and that character is Stan Lee. Oh, oh I see yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, his work in those early Marvel times, reconnecting to an audience as a, as a regular person, making those heroes with flaws, making them seem like it was the world outside our window, changed the way comics would be written and thought about for now 60 years. So, Stanley. Three a curveball, huh? That's a fine uh-huh. answer, Bob. So, there you go, John. At the end of the day... The real answer is Teen Dog. <laughs> or, the, or the Tick. Or the tick. the tick. <laughs> teen <laughs> Dog and the Tick. They are what comics where, are today. Where would we be without the Tick? I don't know. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on here. This next one comes from Pete. This is a long one. I really should have pared this down for the podcast, but I did not. So should I read this or does somebody else want to read this? 
You want me to take a run? I have to. I have to find his. I'll. I'll, I'll read it. All right. Oh, I got. It. Here we go. All right, go for it. This is from Pete. Dear Talking Comics crew, been listening for a couple of years now, and you guys are definitely my favorite podcast. Y'all. I love your recommendations, and mostly I really enjoy the feeling of friendship that is so evident between you all. Keep up the great work. That's because he doesn't hear the sidebars. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) answer my listener question. Whatever happened to thought bubbles and omniscient narration boxes? These things used to go hand-in-hand with the medium comics, but at some point they ceased to be in vogue, at least in mainstream adventure-type comics. I really miss these two devices. I was reading some old Stanley Herb Trimpey hooks a while back, and I was struck by the stark difference between this older style of comic storytelling and what we have now. In the old style, there were a lot more words and therefore a lot more story and complexity packed into your 22 or 24 page book. Nowadays, it's good to have it's taboo to have narration boxes unless they are the first person narration of one of the characters. This could also be confusing and ridiculous when multiple heroes narrate, leading to oh, this is a pet peeve of mine. Color-coded narration boxes, and hey, if you need all that, why don't you go back to the thought bubbles and omniscient narration boxes, right? It's also a shame to me when you see a page or two of combat, and the only words there are sound effects and grunting noises. (laughs) I guess as an adjunct to this, you could also include the disappearance of the old style of word balloon dialogue where the character kind of says what they are doing or what is happening in the panel. I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Are you glad these old devices are gone? Are they too hokey? Or has comics given up something of its unique spirit in order to seem more like old pulp stories, first-person narration, and movies, fewer words, more visuals. Kindly, Pete Stathis, Philadelphia. Thank you, Bob. Well, uh, no problem. So who would like to go first? <laughs> I'll jump in on this one. Jump in, Sarah. Um, I like color-coded narration boxes. I think they're fun. Um, you're not 64 years old and you can't read yellow lettering over a gray box (laughs) uh, these things are true so uh, one of the things that i like about comics and this kind of goes to the part of the part of the question that says the old style word balloon dialogue where the character kind of says what they're doing i read comics so that i can look at the pictures as well as read the words and to me if I can't see from the panel what the character is doing, then the art's not good enough. Um, I don't know if that's just me. Like, I, I look at the panel to see what is happening. I don't need to then be told what is happening in a word bubble or a thought balloon that's going to take up space in that panel. I want the art to be able to tell the story as much as the wording. Um And I sometimes, you know, I like narration boxes. I quite like... um Oh, God, who's writing Deadpool at the moment? Kelly Thompson. Kelly Thompson. I, I like the way that you get narration boxes in there. I think that that's a fun way of doing things. But I also find when I go back and read some of the older books that sometimes they're, I don't want to say patronizing because that's not specifically what I mean, but sometimes I feel like I can grasp what's happening in the story without specifically being told. Um and that I like the fact that there is trust in me as a reader to understand what's happening um, and to appreciate the art, not to have a panel that is three quarters words and then just a tiny little bit of art in the background. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Chris Claremont. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I like Chris Claremont a lot. Don't get me wrong. 
Um, let me let me jump in here since I already did. Uh, Sarah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I do I do like color coded narration, Wicked and Divine, with everyone having a lettering font. It really did make a difference. But they do have to keep in mind somehow it doesn't always turn up in print as well as it should. On, on a computer screen, you might be able to adjust it. The paper is what the paper is. I I do kind of miss, though, the idea of thought bubbles, word balloons, and narration, not to the extreme. And I love those old X-Men books. And, and John Byrne would have to do the art knowing what Chris was going to do afterwards. But that sort of storytelling with getting to see what someone thought, and I believe me, I hated those narrations that were and then superman punched him in the face or he has a, a, a word balloon that says i'm going to hit you now i we don't need that but to hear the motivations to hear the inner thoughts to have some omniscient narration telling you something extra that isn't in the panel i think that allowed for more compressed storytelling that got us to where we needed to go where instead of a 12 issue maxi we could do three issues Mm-hmm. Stan and Jack's Galactus Trilogy takes up half of issue 48, 49 and 50, and only really half of issue 50. That would be two years' worth of storytelling now. And it, it is that those extra words that make a difference. And so I think there's a balance to be had. But it, the whole idea of the narration is sort of linked to the old film noirs from the 40s, or if you even a movie like the original version of uh, Blade Runner where you hear Harrison Ford going on. But boy, I, I just miss, I miss some of that. I get it. I get it. I'm just old fashioned, but my favorite page of comics ever is from Captain America 113. It's, it's Jim Steranko who was doing shield and Stan and cap has made everyone think he's, he's died so he can protect his secret identity, which has gone public. And now he's in the midst of this giant fight at his own funeral where the hordes of Hydra have gassed the Avengers, and it's he and Rick Jones dressed like Bucky. And there's this full page of about 40 Hydra guys firing guns with Rick punching him in the face, Cap holding one up over his head with this with this panel. Bear with me, this narration. A man can be destroyed, a team or an army can be destroyed, but how do you destroy an ideal, a dream? How do you destroy a living symbol or his indomitable will, his unquenchable spirit? Perhaps these are the thoughts which thunder within the murderous minds of those who have chosen the way of Hydra, of those who face the fighting fury of freedom's most fearless champion, the gallant red, white, and blue garbed figure who has been a towering source of inspiration to liberty lovers everywhere. How can the fearsome forces of evil ever hope to destroy the unconquerable Captain America? You can see that anymore. <laughs> That's done. And, and that reading that as a 13-year-old described Captain America to me in a way that nothing he could have done in a book did in some weird way. I'm the old guy. I get it. But there, that stuff had its place. So, so Pete, I think I'm with you. Mostly. <laughs> Who's next? Who's next on this one? I can hear Aaron just squirming in his chair wanting <laughs> to get in on this. Um... Can you repeat the question? <laughs> <laughs> Thought bubbles, narration, uh, uh, panels. What uh, What are your thoughts and feelings? Uh, Exhausting, right? Uh, no, it's just that um, 
I think that there are a couple of reasons that sort of all blend together, and it's a little bit of what each of you said. I think part of it is the evolution of the medium. I, I, I was yep. going to jump in on what, what, what Sarah was saying earlier about the, the art taking more of a front seat or maybe a, a side-by-side pairing with the writing that maybe has some impact to that. Maybe, And I've said on previous episodes that I sometimes look for the story to be told, you know, at least in part by the art. Uh, and so that when it's not there, um, I, I sort of lose some things. I think I wouldn't necessarily want to go back to a scenario where every action or planned action or every thought that a character, our central character was making, was having, was being documented on screen or that every page had a, you know, days of future past type summary on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do appreciate those stories where if we're using that type of narration as a character in the story, then, then I'm okay with it because I, I, you know, it's, it's helping to tell the story. I, I just don't know if I want to go back to the dense nature of the books, you know, cause I, I've done the same thing. I, I think I was going back and reading, um, James Robinson's, uh, Sandman and, and uh, Sandman, oh, Starman. Thank you. Um, and was sort of having the same sort of feeling initially when I was reading it, it's like, okay, there's a lot going on in each one of these, these issues. Now I eventually got a cadence, but, you know, it was a little jarring at first because I felt like there were things that were not necessarily required to be on the page for me to understand what the story was. So I, I sort of waffle a little bit. Um, I think also, wouldn't there be a, a financial impact to the number of words that are, you know, a, a writer has on the page and, and all that stuff? I don't know. I'm just wondering if maybe there's a variety of things that sort of led to that. But I don't necessarily know if I want to go back to. You know, as I go through on, you know, on, on Marvel Unlimited, and as I go through on DC Universe and I read some of those old issues, I don't know if I want to go back to, you know, taking a half an hour to read a book versus taking 15 minutes to read a book um, and getting uh, the story better, out. Va- better value if it took you a half hour to read it. That, uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just uh, I think if it's if it suits the story to tell me things that maybe the story is not obvious to the story. Then that's fine, but if it's something that I could sort of glean from it, yeah, I don't know if it's necessary. But I also really do think it's just the, the evolution of the medium, and just the way the writers want to tell their stories and the artists want to tell their story, and blending the two together. Yeah, uh, and I, I think at a, at a certain level that evolution is not as many people at, at any company at this point are doing things what they were used to describe as the Marvel method which caused a lot of those captions and balloons to be more expansive. It, the writer would throw out a plot and I need this and this to happen. How you want, how you want to do that, Mr. Artist, that's how you do it. But then if the artist didn't deliver something that actually told the story in the right way, it had to be fixed with captions and balloons. Mm. So now that almost everything is kind of done full script, there's going to be less of that disconnect. Hmm. But then there's also less of the odd creativity where this, I mentioned the Galactus trilogy before Jack Kirby gave Stan the pages and Stan had asked, who's this silver nut on the surfboard? Where did he come from? Cause he, he wasn't in this, he wasn't in the notes. And Jack said, well, 
a demigod such as Galactus would have a herald. So I threw that guy in. Yeah, that's a <laughs> lovely surprise. But it is, I, I think the evolution that both you and Sarah have described is definitely blunted some of the repairs that a writer would have to do. I shouldn't say repairs. The additions to an artwork, you have to then explain his, the plot point he had in his head that now didn't show up on the artwork. So there's that. Maybe. <laughs> long answers for a long email. Perfect. How yeah. about you, Steve? Um, I really, I don't know how much more I can add to this. I, I really do agree with Aaron that, uh, I think comics have evolved, not beyond those methods, but definitely I'm a, I'm a show more than tell person. And I really do love having the art, uh, convey, you know, uh, let's say a majority of, of the story for me. And, uh, the reason that I haven't gone back to read a lot of old runs is because old Steve gets, it's a little antsy when reading some of the older stuff with all the uh, all the narration and things of the like. But uh, I do love a pithy thought bubble for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all of that stuff, I think, has its place. I think it speaks to how the art form has evolved throughout the years. Uh, Bob, what you were saying about, you know, needing to compensate for story and art back in those times, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, it is just all part of the magic tapestry of comics lovely yes uh this is me not really having much to add <laughs> <laughs> no you all did a great job i just i don't got it i don't got it uh but what i do got is this next question so dallas i hope you don't mind i know uh i'll just read it first off i love the show thank you for all you do every week your show makes my wednesday morning commute better every week this question is, isn't so much uh, for the show itself, well, too late for that, as much as it is <laughs> for you guys in general. I know that Steve has mentioned on the show that he writes for a nerd-adjacent website, and I wanted to know how he got started doing that. I'm graduating college this spring and hoping to move out to New York uh, with my partner, and the job market is a bit daunting. I'd love to do some sort of nerd-related journalism, but I'm not sure how to get connected uh, from where I'm at. Any help, connections, or advice you could offer would be much appreciated. So rather than write a, a lengthy email, because I've done a couple of these in the past, I'll just quickly talk about this stuff uh, here. And if anybody wants to, to join in, please do. But uh, so Dallas, okay. First of all, I write for uh, joblo.com. I am the uh, man associate managing editor there. And, uh, and I also am part of the news team. And I do travel, or I used to do travel, to, uh, to movie sets and, and stuff like that. And um, I've been with them. It's going to be nine years in January. Um, wow. Speaking of nine years, October 17th is the nine-year anniversary of this podcast. Wow. What? I was looking that up the other day. Nine years, almost a decade. Almost a decade we've been at this. Wild, wild. Anyway, crazy. back to the matter. It is crazy. Back to the matter at hand. Uh, okay, so how do you end up working for nerd-adjacent sites? Set 
reminders or flags on your computer to your email to see when people are hiring. Uh, unfortunately, with writing online, there are some people that stay there for a very long time, but then there are others that kind of come and go. Uh, their schedules don't align, especially during all of this uh, COVID stuff going on. And so basically you want to cover the spread and keep an eye out for where they're doing auditions or you can send them articles. Um, always try to have some kind of an idea uh, in the bag that gets you in the door, makes you a little bit different. I started writing at Joe Blow by presenting them with an exclusive animation column that I did where I kind of dissected the production values and the methods used in animated films and broke it down for people and talked about I missed it. that column. I know. I missed that column. Like the science of it, um, colorization, how that all, you know, the brain responds to all of that stuff. And it was a very cool thing, and I, I loved it, and I did it for a long time. It was one of their longest-running columns to date. And um, so my friend Kevin, who auditioned for Joe Blow at the time, instead of sending in a regular resume, he actually did a webcomic of who he is and why he wants to write for Joe Blow. I've, I've seen it. I've read it. Um, I want Kevin to work on a comic with me so badly. He's so good. And uh, so think of something that could set you apart from other people. When they put word out that they're looking for writers, they usually get a lot of responses. I know that whenever we do, just anybody who thinks that they, they love a certain thing, I love movies, so I can write about them but you haven't had any kind of training or, or you're not specifically great with grammar. I'm not the best either, but I've learned over the years. And um, so that has helped me a lot and get Grammarly on your, on your desktop or whatever it helps. Uh, just don't listen to the little happy, sad faces that come up in the corner when you're writing your stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, help. That's it's So it's a lot about who, you know, and like I said, just keep in, Keeping your eye open. I'll tell you this, uh, not to disenchant you in any way, but make sure that you're passionate about the site that you audition for or that you apply to because think there's a, I, I'll use a video game thing. When I went to school for a video game and web design, there's a big difference between loving to play video games and making video games. It is a completely different animal. And that is the same thing with movies or music or comics or whatever. You love the stuff. You're passionate about the stuff. But after a while, writing your 47th Snyder Cut article, <laughs> that shit really starts to dig deep and you just you become bitter <laughs> in, in one way or another. Uh, I, still, I still very much enjoy my job. Uh, COVID has been interesting uh, for a movie website, that's for sure. We've had to make a lot of adjustments and continue to do so. But hold on to that passion. Try to be creative. Remember why you love that medium so much. And uh, hey, you know what? If if we're we put out stuff, we put out feelers for writers pretty often over at Joe Blow. So if you want to just if you want to keep an eye on that, you could. And, uh, yeah, I think that's all I got for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that was something. Does anybody have any experience with this stuff? Anybody else want to chime in? 
Oh, except for being uh, rejected by people. The, the biggest thing about writing is to simply write. Yeah. Long before you even put a sample in, write something about a movie you've seen, a comic you've read. Show it around to people. Let them take a look at it. Are they moved by what you wrote to have a feeling about the review you placed, either for or against? You, you want to make sure that people feel your passion, just as Steve described. So yeah. just write and write some more. And definitely be be open to criticism, because if you write online, oh, yeah. you're oh, yeah. going to see a lot of it. Uh, do not read the comments section. That would be another piece of advice. Yeah. Uh, actually, okay. You can look at the comments section if you want, but I will caution you with this. Just because somebody has commented below your article with a correction, that doesn't make them right. So if you see something and you panic... I have in the past where they've been like, no, it was this. Like, oh God, did I get it wrong? Shit. And then I go and I change it. And then I research their thing. And that is not the case. You end up looking like a fool and you, you worried yourself for nothing. So do your research and just try, just be you. Honestly, just be yourself. Don't try to, don't try to write in anybody else's style. Uh, definitely take a look at a, if anybody has a, that you're writing for has a house format it's good to find a comfortable spot within that format and keep it as opposed to just wildly going off to do your own thing. Uh, that can confuse readers and they'll click away from your stuff. So just let your personality shine and keep your love of that thing intact. Find other ways to be passionate about it because once you start writing about it, especially if you end up writing news, it's very easy to become disenchanted with, with whatever it is that you're writing about. I know that for me, some movie news crosses my desk and there are days where I just see it and I'm just like, I don't care. And, and I, I end up churning out, you know, not every, not every article is going to be a zinger. So just, uh, keep that fire burning. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of being yourself, when I started writing for talking comics, the first couple I wrote, Bobby was, that's not you. Where's the guy we have the converse? I have the conversations with. Write like you. Don't write like somebody else. Mm -hmm. So yes, I did that. But we use WordPress. WordPress hates me. <laughs> Absolutely hates me. You didn't do this and you didn't do that. You have too many syllables in each sentence, and this is difficult to read. And you're writing for. They tell you like what grade level you're writing for, and when they tell me, I don't know. Uh, Einstein. It's like, no, I'm not. I happen to like I happen to like the Oxford slash New Yorker comma. Okay, leave me alone. I like semicolons. Get off my back. Anyway, Sarah, you want to jump in on this? Uh, the only thing I would say is, is I would echo Steve's comment of saying do your research. Um, I I quite often go to conventions and interview people, and I always try and think if I was in their position, I don't I wouldn't want someone to be asking me the same questions I'm always asked. So especially when you're in like a round table situation and there's five or six people asking questions, do your research, find out about the person that you're um, interviewing or the thing that you're talking about and and find something interesting. Mm -hmm. Um and the other thing is just to echo, keep your enthusiasm. I've I've interviewed people before and they've been on their like fifth, sixth, seventh interview of the morning. And 
the piece of feedback I always get, and it sounds like I'm blowing my own trumpet, and you know what I'm going to because I love it when people say this, is that I am super enthusiastic when I'm interviewing people. Um, And I really enjoy talking to people about what they create because I love the fact that people create amazing art. Um, And that has that has led to some really amazing opportunities for me to talk to people because people see that and people recognize that and you're not just going in asking the same 10 questions to every single person mm-hmm. um so keep your enthusiasm value your enthusiasm um and don't let the fact that it's a job stop it being fun yeah yeah it, it is so gratifying when you ask a question of someone and they can tell you no one's ever asked that before. Or when we had John Allison on and I came up with the idea of his three characters being the ego, super ego and id. And he went, nobody's ever asked that before. That's what I was trying to do. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. I got lucky. Yeah. There's nothing. <laughs> Go ahead, it's those moments. It's those moments where you that the research that Sarah's describing, you found an angle that seems obvious, but no one's ever bothered with or no one has thought worthwhile asking and it'll put a glow in your in your in your soul for for weeks. Yeah, standing out is a good thing. Going outside of the box is a good thing. You know, feel out the the project, see who you're writing for. But definitely, whatever you do, make sure that it's you. Uh, it's very easy to fall into the trap of just getting it done and just getting it out there. And sometimes it ends up sounding like a watered down version of something that is not yourself. And uh, I've been guilty of that from time to time, uh, especially when the passion for, for whatever the subject is just isn't there. But every now and again, you'll get that opportunity where something is very you and, and something that you can just have fun with. And those those articles or those writings are they can be very reinvigorating. So don't uh, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. The mm. world changes every day, for better or worse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Happiest podcast on the internet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Aaron, do you have anything to add to this before we get to our last question? Not really. Okay. <laughs> you guys covered it. Sounds good, man. Sarah... Yes, I have got a question from Audrey, a long-time listener, friend of the show. Audrey has said, Hi, Fidelity came up last week, and that put a thought in my head, darlings. In the 2000s... Sorry, I just completely lost the ability to read. In, in, in the 2000 Stephen Frears film, John Cusack's character, Rob Gordon, makes a list of his top five dream jobs. I shan't ask for five, but what would be your number one dream job? And it can be in any locale or time period, past, present or future. Ooh. Steve. Oh, hey. <laughs> Steve. I know for a fact that you're not going to give us a number one dream job. I do have a number one, but I also have five, four, three, two, and one. Okay. In which order are you going to do them? I'll go from bottom to top. Okay. All right. So five dream jobs for me. Number five, independent record label owner. Nice. There is a record label called Sergeant House that has – 
given me some of my favorite musical artists, I'd say well, over the past three to five years that uh, that I've been kind of exploring uh, music and stuff like that since I've been here in Canada and seeing a couple of shows in Toronto. And I just, I really dig the vibe. I, I, I They seem like a good, uh, good company. And I would love to bring, curate a, a label to bring good music to good people. I think that would be a dream job of mine. Uh, my fourth dream job, and I, I want to get classes once once things return to whatever normal we we get back to. I want to be a glass blower. I absolutely love glass blowing. I love watching it. I love watching the artistry of it. I love watching them like burn and twist things around and make it all pretty with all these crazy colors and everything and creating these beautiful pieces of art. I would love to learn how to blow glass and then be good enough at it to then like make my own studio and blow glass. And that'll be like how I live out my days. Uh, Definitely going to get some classes for for Bronwyn and I to take once those things kick up. Those are expensive classes though. Those are no joke. A couple hundred bucks. Anyway, uh, number three, I would love to be a hair and makeup artist on uh, some kind of uh, film set, Uh, particularly practical makeup, horror makeup, uh, masks, that sort of thing. Uh, Little packets that explode underneath the the skin so the pus is coming out. I want to do that. (laughs) Pus, okay. Yeah. Pus artist. That's right. Uh, Number two, I would love to be a production designer at Leica Studios. So when I've gone to Leica in the past for set visits for The Missing Link and The Box Trolls, one of the most fascinating things that I found were the people that make the furniture of these films, the stuff that's hanging up on the walls, the sofas, the beds, the cars, the towns, the worlds that these characters, these maquettes walk around in, um, fabricating them, painting them, keeping track of them, putting them on the set, dressing the set, tearing them down. I love that stuff so, so, so much. It has taken everything that I have to not swipe something when I've gone (laughs) to their studio. I would never do that. That would be all kinds of wrong. And thankfully, they're actually very generous. And the two times that I've been there, they actually send you home with a gift bag. And they sent me home with statues and candy and T-shirts and coffee and cookies. It's it, they're they're an amazing amazing animation studio. So production designer for Leica Studios. My number one dream job of all time would have to be being a puppeteer for the Jim Henson Company. I oh. would love to have worked on something like the Dark Crystal or Labyrinth or Sesame Street or doing doing the the new Dark Crystal for Netflix I love practical effects puppets in particular the muppets are the muppets are my childhood and I would love to be underneath the set with my little rods and all kinds of personality and making those characters come to life. If I could do anything, that is probably what I would want to do most is, is awesome. manipulate those puppets yeah. and bring, bring joy to, you know, generations of, of kids and adults alike. Uh, I just, at nearly 40 years old, I still have such a love and a passion 
for that stuff. Uh, and yeah, that's that's what I would love to do. Awesome. Yeah. Those would be my answers. Uh, Aaron, what do you want to do? Either a 70s porn director. (laughs) I would like to point out, before you say anything else, for those of you listening at home, if you want to just go back a second right before Aaron started speaking when he kind of moved in his chair, your chair totally gave us that rat-a-tat-tat at the beginning of Poison. (laughs) Just so you know. And then you said 70s porn director right after the like... Anyway, continue. I'm sorry. I just have to I should, point I that should out. Plan that better. Go when this is out on Wednesday. Go back and listen to this woman. You'll hear it. It was amazing. <laughs> well, like I said, even either a '70s porn director, or because I feel like it was just probably fun, or a hundred million dollar lottery winner. Everything else is just treading water. <laughs> What would you do? What, the, what would be the first thing you would do with a hundred million dollars besides give a portion of it to me? No, I would make a seventies porn movie. That's <laughs> circle, circle moment. He took the words out of my mouth. I would bring it back to the old ways, man. Theater releases. <laughs> so, telling you, break it down to the basics. Um, have, a, have a good story. Listen, if I want a hundred million dollars. I would teach the government something about a witness protection program because you never see me again. (laughs) I would go underground (laughs) and eventually start reaching out to people slowly. Wow. You hear hear a lot of those lottery winner horror stories of people sending inundating them all day long with, can you help pay for my college? Can you help buy my surgery? Can you pay my mortgage? I'm like, nah, I can't do all that. So. Anyway, that's my choices. I like it. I like it. They go well together. See? So, Sarah, how about you? Oh, my God. Mine are so boring now. <laughs> like, genuinely, mine sound proper dull. If I could do anything in the world, I would be a full-time writer. Like, if people would give me money to make shit up, that would be amazing. I would love that. You could um, write my porn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I kid. Um, <laughs> that's completely thrown me. Um, and then this is going to sound like really corny and really bad. But I always wanted to run a secondhand bookshop because I just love books. But now I work in a comic book shop and that's literally just as good. Like I worked all day today. I got to sort loads of books out. I got to um, sell a teenager, his first ever games workshop kit. I got to talk to him about painting and how to learn the rules and, and, you know, the fact that we run games nights and he can come down and people will teach him stuff. I had a girl come in who had 20 pounds from her gran and she wanted to buy something and she got a lumberjanes book and she got Sabrina the teenage witch. Um, I sold a boy, one of Jeremy Whitley's books and that made me super happy because I was like, this was written by my friend. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what the sad thing is? I actually said that. <laughs> I've done that um, with Kristen's books before. When I gave them to my niece, I was like, this is a friend of mine. She got it. Yeah. And and I just, like, it sounds really corny, but I love that job. Okay, it's not my full-time job. I do have, like, a really boring governmental office job. 
that actually pays my bills. Lighting trash fires. Yes. No, not lighting. Dealing with. I don't light the trash fires. If anyone from work is listening, it wasn't me. Oh, Um, oh, no. I need data about trash fires. Let's leave it at that. (laughs) No, no. It's mostly going on Facebook and telling people the trash fires have occurred and then being sworn at repeatedly for the fact that it means they can't do a thing they want to do because (laughs) it was clearly my fault. So please do call me all of the swear words ever. Um, that is not my dream job, FYI, uh, running a corporate Facebook account. Just like there is a human being at the end of that. I get it. You're frustrated. You can't take your waste to the site. But I'm a real human being. Please stop calling me names. Um, but yeah, like honestly, working in the comic book shop, it is just the best job. And I don't think anyone's ever going to pay me to be a full time writer because I'm really not that good. So yeah. I'll, I'll just stick with like selling other people's stuff. It's super fun. <laughs> and I just get to be so nerdy. And someone made a comment about She Hulk being the Hulk's girlfriend. And oh. 45 minutes of the history of the character. It was so good. Dude even bought a coffee. He was in there for so long. <laughs> <laughs> Upselling at its best. Love so. It. Yeah, if someone wants to pay me to make stuff up, that'd be awesome. But if not, I'll just stick with the comics thing. You sound like me in that I eventually made my peace with not becoming a musician, that I would just be a person who really appreciates the shit out of music. (laughs) Oh, I still write. I just don't do anything with it. Um, Although I have this thing at the moment where I have to do one thing nice every day for myself. Not like that. Um, oh, and, okay. Where's that music? And so um, the other day, my thing that I did that was nice for me is I actually showed someone something that I'd written. Um, <laughs> and like, I it didn't say break. it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? I just thought that was going in a very different direction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to have impure thoughts. <laughs> Keep talking, please. You get us out of this, Sarah. Help. Ooh. I have no idea how I was like, did she forget we're recording? What is she talking about? <laughs> Where is she going with this? It all started with the 70s porn, man. Now everybody's <laughs> mind's in the gutter. <laughs> Sarah's lost the plot. I I shared something I had written with somebody and their response wasn't to tell me it was utter horseshit. So that made me happy. Can we we move on? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Um, (laughs) Would I have loved to have been the center fielder for the San Francisco Giants or the assistant to Willis O'Brien on King Kong or something? Yeah, Absolutely. I was really lucky in that I had two of my dream jobs covering 35 years of my real working life between working 20 years in a record store and then another 14, 15 uh, renting and selling movies to people. It was just all day long just being that professional appreciator that you guys are talking about that Rob Gordon's called by his own girlfriend in in High Fidelity. But if I'm going to pick any locale, past, present, future – I want to be the arts critic for the New York Times in New York in the 20s to the 40s. 
Sit at at the Algonquin Round Table. I knew it. Go go to the theater with Dorothy Park and Robert Benchler and see the Marx Brothers. See Orson Welles' Macbeth and Julius Caesar on Broadway. See Kong and Citizen Kane in a theater for the first time. See the rise of modern jazz on 52nd Street with Billy Eckstein, Gillespie Park, Athonius Monk. Catch Judy Holiday at the Village Vanguard. Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole at the Paramount. And while I'm at it, you're going to hate me for this one. I could have one more cash with my dad. Aww. Aww. And now my 70s porn pales in comparison, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it's just in a different place. Same emotions in a way, but a different place. Aww. Those are some great answers, Bob. How many times have you said 70s porn? <laughs> it's the New World's record. <laughs> I'm struggling with a title for this week's show. We might have to talk about it off air. <laughs> yeah. Can we call a show Bounty Go Wow Wow? Is that Absolutely. All right. Uh is that it, Bob? Yes. Okay. There we go. Uh if you want to send in an email, that is podcast at talkingconcbooks.com. We love emails. We do read them. And uh, we try to get to them as soon as humanly possible, so long as they're appropriate. <laughs> Every now and again, we'll get one and they'll be like, um, no. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, that happens. And it's time to talk about the books that we're excited for this week. It's another big week for me, so I'll go last. Okay. <laughs> uh, Aaron, what are you picking up? So after my quick sort of run through the list. I think this is going to be some of them. I might switch some things around, but Young Justice 18, I believe, comes out, which is bittersweet because now that we know what's going on with that. But then I'm going to wrap up Empire 6 because I just want to see it end. And then <laughs> um, FF23, I believe, is coming out. Yeah. Uh, and then Miles Morales Spider-Man number 18. Uh, and then I think New Mutants 12 is coming out. And then I think I'm going to continue reading Genius. Okay. Okay. Sounds like a plan. Sarah, how about you? Uh, so I am looking at Bitterroot number 10, which is still one of my favorite series, like, ever. Uh, there's a new Black Widow series coming out over here. I don't know if it's already out for you guys. The Kelly Thompson, Thompson Elena Casagrande. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. That's coming out this week. I'm definitely going to pick that up because Kelly Thompson. Um, what else have I got coming out? DC Superhero Girls. There's a new one of those coming out, which I will pick up because it's my niece's birthday on oh, Sunday. How old is she? Oh, boy. This is the, the young princess. Yeah. How old is Allura at this point? Eight. Eight. Oh. I can't. I can't even. Yeah. It's painful but i will get her that book and i've got her some other little bits and pieces because um i haven't seen her since february um i will be picking up die number 13 because of course i will there's a new book coming out that i might pick up called ink blots yep it's on my list Um, too Emma Cuba and Rusty Glad. It's about a magical cat that could unravel the fabric of the universe if it wants to, but it might not because it's a cat. Um, <laughs> or might because it's a cat. Or might because it's a cat. Uh, there's a book coming out from Aftershock called Lonely Receiver. I don't know if anyone else is thinking of getting this. It's from Zach Thompson and Jen Hickman. It's about somebody who buys an artificial intelligence partner that's supposed to bond for life. And then after 10 years, it just disconnects with no warning. 
Um, so this woman has been living with her wife for 10 years and then all of a sudden she is alone and she doesn't know why. And I'm just like, wow, I've been in a flat on my own for six months. I really need to read a book about loneliness. That'll <laughs> yeah. do me good. Um, Monstrous number 30 is coming out. That continues to be one of the best written and best looking books ever. Uh, there's a new book called We Only Find Them When They're Dead. Mm hmm from Al Ewing and Simone de Mayo, which is um, a big sci-fi epic about people who harvest the resources from giant corpses of alien gods in space. But one guy who's like obsessed with being the first person to see one alive because, you know, that never ends badly for anyone. No. Um, but the single most important book coming out next week is from Sam Maggs, Ian Flynn, Casey Collar, and Sarah Pitra du Rocher. And it's My Little Pony Transformers Friendship in Disguise <gasps> number two. There it is. Friendship in Disguise. I am so excited yeah. about this. I love this book so much. <laughs> I can't. It's too good. I can't even. <laughs> Bob, what are you picking up? Very light week, with most of it having been mentioned already. FF23 is this week. I was lucky enough to peruse the Black Widow number one back a couple of months ago, where they gave out uh, dealer copies, and it is marvelous, but I'm buying it again because we need to support Kelly Thompson. And speaking of things I've read before, but officially, after months and months, Spy Island number one by Chelsea Kane and Kate Niemzek is officially out this week. Ooh. As well as, for some bizarre reason, from friend of the show, Kristen Gudznuck, Minecraft With or Without You officially makes it to comic book stores this week. Ooh, lovely. Yeah, my uh, my list is very much the same. I got Batman 98 on here. Uh, Sarah, are you reading The Dreaming Waking Hours? Oh, Yes. Yeah, that's. But that wasn't on my list. That oh. might not be coming out here yet. We there's there's some weird stuff happening with book timings over here. Um, yeah, I bet. Let me see. Yeah. yeah. Thank it's... you, DC. Yes. Uh, so let's see. Oh, it's uh, been a whole thing. Sarah has now added Lonely Receiver number one, and we only <laughs> find them when they're dead number one to my list. Thanks a lot for that. No worries, bud. <laughs> I have uh, I have Strange Adventures number five on here, but we'll have to see about the the old wallet there. Uh, Ascender number twelve, FF twenty three, Bitterroot number ten, Die thirteen, Ink Blot number one, Monstrous Sea of Stars returns this week. Sea of Stars number six, Black Widow number one, Empire number six, New Mutants, and Wolverine number five. So there you have it, Cha Ching. Oh, there is one other book that I'm getting. It doesn't look like the Dreaming's coming out over here. Um, and I don't know how I managed to forget that this book actually exists because it's just the best name ever. Uh, there is a Sex Criminals one-shot coming out from um, Matt Fraction, Chip Zdarsky, and with art by Rachel Stott, and it is called Sex Criminals Sexual Gary. Oh, he's back. <laughs> Um, and I am way behind on Sex Criminals because I read it in trade, but I'm not passing up the chance to get Rachel Stott drawing Sexual Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good time. All right. Does anybody have any uh, closing statements before we get out of here? Quick question. Random. Did anyone else hear about Olivia Munn directing Spider-Woman? Yeah. Uh, Olivia Wilde. 
wild. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. I was wondering why that's not being. Well, they're not saying which Spider Woman at this point. Yeah. I just kept forgetting to ask about. I have. I love that movie. Yes. I love it so much. Yes. I basically Um, forced a bunch of my friends to see it. I'm very excited at the prospect of her directing that movie. And I've heard that uh, the front runner for Jessica Drew, or at least this Mm -hmm. was the case a little while back, was uh, Alicia Vikander as as Jessica Drew. And the other uh, candidate was, and we were just watching this this morning, and I don't know what her name is, who plays Stevie on Schitt's Creek. That is Emily Hampshire. Hampshire. Hmm. New Hampshire. (laughs) Um, uh, So they're definitely Jessica? That's the only thing I keep seeing, but I I don't know if it's been nailed down. But go ahead, Steve. No, that's that's what – I mean, all all Olivia Wilde did when they made the announcement was she posted an emoji of a spider – and I think everyone just assumed, seeing that uh, Jessica is, I guess, the most prominent of them, at least this generation, and certainly the potential for a Captain Marvel and Spider-Woman crossover would be there. So maybe well, speaking, Right. Well, speaking about the actresses you're mentioning, if they're in the, in the, in the front-running positions, it's not Spider-Gwen, who's Spider-Woman in her universe. Mm-hmm. I was thinking along those lines. Well, Spider-Gwen is going to be a major part of the next uh, Sony animated uh, Spider-Verse film. Right. But but that, in my head, sticks that, well, they would use a character now that's already known to launch another franchise. Mm -hmm. But you're you're talking now about older actresses. Older actresses. They're in their later 20s, probably. (laughs) But that that just then points to not Spider-Gwen. So that's that's I want to see some Jessica Drew. Yes, I I would hope that that's what they plan to do for sure. Any other closing statements, thoughts? Uh-uh. No. Nope. All right. So we've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. We've got all kinds of comic book goodness over on TalkingComicBooks.com where you can find reviews and features from our fantastic contributors. Also, if you like podcasts, go check out Talking Valiant, D&D Adventure. And of course, the ladies of Valhalla who just dropped a brand new episode this past Friday all about Gail Simone's Wonder Woman. Yeah, we did. It was a lot of fun. Yes, you did. Lots of energy coming out of that show. It's incredible. Let's see. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Where can our listeners find you? Old-fashioned email. Bob Ryder at TalkingComicBooks.com. Aaron? Uh, Twitter at Aaron J. Amos and Instagram at AJ Amos 70 Sarah? Uh, you can find me everywhere media or social at Geek Country Lady. Indeed. Uh, I am at dead underscore anchoress on the internet. Jessica is at Jarska for all the things. Joey is at Joey Brachino and Bronwyn is at shiny baby B. So for Bob. Only one thing to say. Wakanda forever. For Aaron. Never trust a big button to smile. (laughs) For Sarah. 
<laughs> Rest in power. Oh my god, I don't know what to say. <sighs> Rest well, Mr. Bozeman. We we love you. We thank you. And uh we will we will cherish what you've given us for, for many, many, many years to come. Absolutely. So thank you all so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. See? And until next time on the Talking Comics Podcast, to be... peanut butter again yeah no we're not having that debate you've already lost there's no reason to to (laughs) rub it in no she's won fuck that the peanut butter's amazing fuck no crazy (laughs) it's it's good as a substitute for plastic wood filling nail holes in the oh monsters the both of you um so my coach sent me a recipe that she wanted me to try because she knows i like cooking and i'm like vicky i am not buying peanut butter no. Just to make this chicken recipe, and and she just sent me a, me- a voice note, and she was like, "We're not working together anymore if you don't eat peanut butter." <laughs> <laughs>